performance slide. I can only imagine like being the parent of the little girl in that video. Like, here you go, honey. You're gonna be in the greatest video of all time. Oh man, that's what I want. That's what I'd want for my kid. Like my wife is terrified because I think my number one dream for my daughter is to love Jesus, yeah, but to be able to be in a hardcore video, whoo, dad would be proud. Uh, but, and we're going to get to that in a little bit, but we're in the middle of our all-access series, okay? In the, in the midst of this series, you're kind of looking at, like, the artwork. It looks like it's at a concert, and we kind of talked about last week, right, that there are maybe bands that we love or musical artists that we love that it would be great if we had, like, a backstage pass or, or a VIP moment with that band. We would get to meet them and, and talk with them, right, like, we could meet Taylor Swift and be like, hey, tell us all about all 54 of your breakups. All 50, chapter one, okay? Like, like, we can meet them and learn about them. We follow them on social media, Instagram, Twitter. Maybe we follow, like, their family members, right? Like, they have a husband or another husband or seven other husbands or, like, some kids. And we're just like, man, we got to know everything. We want to know that person. And we talked about how as believers, people who claim to love Jesus, lovers of God, uh, that we have this expectation that if we love Jesus, that, that, that God has something for us. That there is a special access to God. That there's this, this relationship with God that we talk about uh, that, that gives us access to him. There's kind of that expectation. Okay, and when, as we talked about that in last week, you know, because we kind of sometimes get confused. We, sometimes we feel distant from God. We're like, why did God, like, run away? Why is he hiding? Uh, we feel like there's distance there. Or we don't know what it's like to be in the presence of God. Or we don't maybe understand how to have access to God, or what we're going to talk about this week, what that access looks like. Because what we talked about last week, and we were in Hebrews as well last week, uh, we talked about this idea, right? Not, not this idea, but this truth, that if we're a believer, if we are one of the saved ones, if we have put our faith in Jesus, if we are Christians, then we have access to God. Then we are in the presence of God. We don't, we don't have to, to hope that he shows up. He is already here. His presence is here. We are sitting in the midst of it, and we have access to him. And we kind of left on this note that there was maybe some confusion of, okay, well, if I've got access to him, why does he feel so far? Why am I not getting it? Why does my life not look, not look like this person's over here? Maybe. And so what we're going to talk about in week two is we're going to talk about what do we have access to? What is this access that we have? If we have all access to God, what is the benefit of that? What is the benefit? So we watch, as, as promised last week, I, I was like, hey, I think every week for this series, we're going to talk about one of my favorite bands. And so we're going to listen to a little bit of each band because I hold them so near and dear to my heart and because I married a woman that I love but does not love my music. And so I can't just go home and like blare it when I get off work and be like, yeah, it brings, brings peace to my soul. Uh, and so, so we get a little bit of it here. This is, like, this is my guilty pleasures, except I don't feel guilty because it's insanely good. And Under Oath, that band, have been making music, just like last week's Emory, for, for about uh, 15 years, they had long enough that they were able to break up and get back together and tour again, which is like the day that they broke up, I was in college, and I was like, this is the worst day of my life because they're like my favorite number one band of all time because it's got all my teenage angst just fits into every album that they make. And so these dudes are literally like 37, 38, 40. Like they have kids that go to their shows. And so you got like little girls with these giant headphones on like, yeah, go dad. And behind him, people are like killing each other. It's so good. So great. And one of my favorite bands of all time. And so I've seen them five times live. 
And kind of like last week, I've never gotten backstage passes to them, but I've gotten to meet three of the six band members personally and have conversations with them, which is like, hey, you make really good music. <laughs> Thanks. And I'll like walk off and run away. <laughs> and so I've gotten to see them play five times, but one of my favorite times uh, was when I was in high school. I think it was about a junior. And I lived, like I said, I lived close to Austin, and so I got to go into Austin and see them play a show. Uh, and they played with a, a band called Thursday, and it was sold out. It was just packed. It, it was so, I've never been to a show this crowded. I mean, we're literally just like standing there like, this music is good. Hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. Oh, that's your wife? She's right there. <laughs> You're just like, it, was, oh, it was so much fun. It was everything I wanted it to be. I'm just sweating. My shirt started off like red. Now it's like a burgundy or a purple. Just enjoying it. And that's, I love going to shows. I love those shows. Like I come back and Haley's like, why does it look like you went to war? And I'm like, because I did. And I love that. But what I hate about those shows, and listen, ladies, I'm all for equality, all right? Let's go, baby. Equal, equal pay in the workplace. I think that you're great. But stay away from my shows, okay? Because, because I go, and then there's two types of you. There's the girl with her girlfriend. There's the girl with her girlfriend. Well, maybe. There's the girl with her boyfriend, and, and he's got his arms wrapped around her like, I'm the protector. And they're like right in the middle of the pit, and we're all trying to push and shove. And he's like, and I'm like, and he's like, I'm like, you're not supposed to be here. Drive me insane. And then there's the girl who finds her way up there, and she's like, I can hang out with the boys. And I'm like, you're about to get killed by a linebacker. And, and then the pit opens up, and she's like, ah, and some guy just comes in, boom, and she's dead. And so eventually, after two or three songs, they go to the back. Well, one show, I'm in the front, the show in Austin, I'm in the front, and there's this girl next to me. And it's just, there's not even room to, like, open up a traditional mosh pit. There's just people just dead bodies, like, crowd surfing. You're like, oh, my neck. And then another one, another one. And I'm next to this poor girl, and I'm just like, boom, 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 for an hour and a half. And I'm just obliterating her. And what makes it worse is right on the other side of her is the concrete wall to the venue that we're in. And so she's just like, there's, like, cracks and dents forming as it's spreading. And I was, I was like, I don't know why you're up here. Like, I don't understand. Because you're going to go home and your parents are going to wonder why you have to be in a wheelchair now. Like, 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 I'm concerned for your well-being. And so literally, I spent the entire show, great show, enjoyed it. The music was so good. But I spent the entire show, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like, eventually, just got to a point where I just kind of braced my hand up against the wall and just stood like this for the whole, like a power squat, just hydrating so I don't pull a muscle so that way I don't kill her. And I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And like, like to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm not sorry anymore. You should have left. Like, what are you still doing up here? And she's like, thanks, you're so sweet. And I'm like, you smell so weird because everybody's got B.O. now. Like, just apology after apology after apology. And when I was looking back at that show, I'm looking at some things. What I realized about myself and what I realized about people is we love forgiveness. We love forgiveness. My entire experience on that show, and really my entire experience at many shows, is pendant on the fact that the other people there will be able to forgive me for the things that I do. Okay? For the guy that I push down on the ground or that I'm, like, flailing and I get him in the face. I'm like, I'm sorry, man. My hope is that he's cool enough to be like, we're at a show. What happens? And not like, oh, you want to die today. Because 90% of the human population is bigger than me. 
And so my, and my experience there is pinned on the fact that this girl maybe doesn't have like a giant boyfriend behind her that he's gonna be like, hey, why do you keep hitting my girl? Like, I, like I'm hoping there's forgiveness there. Man, we love forgiveness. We love forgiveness. Often, we love to be forgiven more than we love to forgive. And as a matter of fact, as a church, as church culture, we love forgiveness even more than the general population because we are the forgiven. We are the forgiven. You come on any Sunday, we're so, God loves you. He forgives you for everything. He forgives you for all your sins. Come one, come all. March down the aisle in a single file line, lest you all be saved and forgiven from your sins. We love forgiveness. We love forgiveness. And because we love forgiveness, when we think about access to God, one of the number one things we think about, because we talked about it in my small group on Sunday, the number one place that our mind goes is that our access to God assumes his forgiveness. When we talk about access, our mind immediately goes to a place that says, okay, my access to God means that I am forgiven. And what I want to start with tonight, before I confuse any of you, it does. It does mean forgiveness. It does mean the forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future. But what we want to come to tonight is a better understanding of that forgiveness and grace. Because our access assumes forgiveness. And I I know this because I remember when I was a, a little baby Christian, six years old, just accepting Christ. And I remember, it's presented. He forgives you. He forgives you for everything. He's going to forgive you for everything. I'm like, man, that dude is awesome. You're my homeboy. Money, y'all probably don't even remember those shirts. That was a great time in life. Uh, but we're like, hey, this is so great. I'm forgiven. And so, so many of us, we get so wrapped up in forgiveness, and we put our minds on forgiveness, and that God has forgiven us, that we begin to develop a terrible understanding of sin and what it does in our lives. And I remember this uh, at a very young age because I remember the strawberry story. The strawberry story, I've shared a lot of stories up here. This is not one that I've shared. I don't think I've shared it with my wife, so I'm about to get intimate up in here. Okay? And the strawberry story is one, which I was a little kid. I don't think I've ever told my parents this. Maybe I need to make a phone call after this. Uh, but, but I was about six or seven years old, and so this is also a bad parenting move, so I'm telling on them. Uh, but, but they were like, hey, uh, we need you to watch your little sister and her friends for a while. We got to go take care of some stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. We were with her. Uh, we were seeing a family that we saw in Arkansas. Yeah, like we're from Arkansas. They don't, like there's adults in the back. They're like, they left you alone? Yeah, I had it covered. It was no big deal. Um, and so they leave. And I guess there was maybe a party or something going on later that night. And there's this bowl of chocolate-covered strawberries on the bar. And here's the deal. If you know me at all, you know this. I love produce. Okay, because produce is all the proof of God that I need because he's already created something so sweet and delicious that man cannot create. Okay, I love a good strawberry, like pineapple. Just I would eat that over a chocolate bar like any day of the week. But if you want to cover it in chocolate, far be it from me to ruin your dreams. Okay, and so there's a, there's a bowl on the bar, and it's just filled with chocolate-covered strawberries. And they're like, hey, we're leaving. Uh, we're going tonight. Here's the deal. Uh, do not touch those over there. Those are for later tonight. And so immediately I was like, oh, you mean they're for right now, okay? And so I don't know if you've ever been like a carnival and you've seen like a giant jar of like jelly beans or anything like that, and you've got to try and figure out maybe how many are in there. I'm playing the same game with the strawberries, but it's more of how many are in there and how many can I eat before they notice that some are missing. Uh, and so I'm looking at them and I'm preparing myself. Like I, I know, like I'm about to just go crush some rules, okay? I'm just mentally like, I think seven. Seven is maybe the number that I can take out of that bowl before they notice that any are missing, okay? And so they leave, and that's where I eat the strawberries. Okay, so, so I go, uh, and because I know my God, I know how good he is, 
I know that he is going to forgive me for being a bad kid. But just in case I take all measures of precautions and I do not ask for forgiveness at the end of all the strawberries, that is irresponsible. I ask forgiveness to eat strawberries, okay? And so I'm working through, and I'm literally standing there, and I'm like, That was three, God, three levels of forgiveness, if you're counting. Like, that, that was it. Because I assumed that my relationship with God was only wrapped up in forgiveness. It was the only identity that there was. It was the only definition of that relationship that it could be. All I knew was forgiveness. It had developed a terrible understanding of what sin was in my life. And that sounds like a funny story, but I'm not kidding. Those type of beliefs at a very young age begin to creep up into older ages. And you begin to fight the battle that says, yes, God has forgiven me, but maybe there's more. Maybe God's forgiveness, because we love this as a church culture, we say, free forgiveness? I can do whatever I want, and God will forgive me. So how about I get saved at six, live my life like hell for the next 12 years, and then we'll invite God back in after college, after college. And, and we'll figure that out then. Are you going to forgive me? Holy Spirit, you are welcome here because I did some stuff last week. Right? Like that's kind of that's kind of what we think. That's our knowledge of forgiveness. That's what we assume this access is. And so check this out: forgiveness becomes the focus. Forgiveness becomes the focus, and not in a healthy way. Not in a healthy way that we go, oh, like, like yes, I understand the forgiveness that God has forgi- that God has done, given me. I, I understand what Jesus did on the cross. I understand that He rose again. I understand that He wants a relationship with me. Not in a healthy way. Because a healthy way says, I understand forgiveness. I'm able to forgive others, most importantly. I'm able to forgive myself. But oftentimes our focus on forgiveness does not become those things. It becomes, I can do what I want, when I want, how I want. God will forgive me. It becomes the focus. And we become like the great theologian, my dear friend John Bellion. Some of you maybe listen to John Bellion. He's not like really a great theologian. Some of you are like, I'm writing that down. I'll buy his book later. Uh, no, the John Bellion, if you don't know, he's a music producer. He's a writer. He recently released uh, an album. Uh, I cannot like promote that album because not everything on it is great. But he writes some very interesting words in his first album that he not released, not sold. It was online for free. It's a song called Human, and he writes these words. So good. It's like some of my favorite lines ever written in music. He says this, I always fear that I'm not living right. So I feel guilty when I go to church. The pastor tells me I've been saved. I'm fine. So please explain to me why my chest still hurts. And I read that and I go, oh, John Bellion understands church people better than anyone. Because how many times have we sat in pews or we've sat in chairs or maybe we just haven't even gone to church because we are terrified of what God might call us to? How many times are we terrified of what God might speak to us in our lives And the reason that we get as confused as my good friend, Mr. Bellion, is because we go, I'm saved, I'm forgiven, I can live however I want with no consequence, then why do I still feel the weight of my sin? If I'm forgiven, why do I still feel it? Why am I still struggling through it? Why does God feel so distant? Because I'm forgiven. And we miss out on the many characteristics of God that are all all there. We make God the supreme forgiver and nothing else. And here's the deal. We do not do that in any other area of life. Why would we do it with God? It's the same for me. I am a youth minister. I love youth ministry. Like, like my hobbies are youth ministry. Like, I, I love it. But there is much more to me. I am a husband. 
I am a son, I am a brother, I am a friend. There are more things to me than youth ministry to assume that there was only one side of me would be to miss all the other parts. To assume that God is only the supreme forgiver and is wrapped up in that would be to miss the other sides of him. It would be to miss full access that we have in him. And so if you're kind of getting nervous, we're about to get a little bit deep tonight. I've kind of made a commitment in the last couple weeks uh, that as we near the end of the school year, I'm going to hammer out the word of God to an uncomfortable level. And so if you came tonight and you said, man, I want to be comfortable, you might want to get up and leave now because it's not going to happen anymore. Because when you look at this, when forgiveness becomes the focus, we come face to face with Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. If you don't know what's going on in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, I say the writer because we don't really know who wrote it, uh, but the writer of Hebrews is really kind of, it's a very encouraging letter. He's trying to encourage. He's trying to lay a baseline for believers and, and uh, promote them to perseverance. He's trying to encourage them to perseverance, to stay in the faith. And we come in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, and we see this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We're going to get to that in a little bit because I want to redefine the word grace tonight and talk about that word mercy as well. But what we see here is the image of the priest again. We talked about him last week. We talked about him going behind the curtain into the presence of God, the Holy of Holies, sacrificing for the forgiveness of the people. We see that priest again. We see the image and the illustration of that priest again. And so again, he, he is rekindling in the hearts of the hearers really this, this joy that they would have had for the priest who goes on behalf of them. For the Jewish people who would go on behalf of them uh, for their forgiveness and, and he would present himself. And he says this, hey, you remember that priest figure. Jesus is the completion of that. He is the last and final priest. We need no other priest to go before us. There are some other faith traditions that they still have a priest that intercedes for you on behalf of God. We are not that. I am not your intercession to God. Jesus is. You now have your, your own priesthood. You are accountable to that. You are in the presence of God if you are a believer and have put your faith in Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews breaks that down and says, Jesus is the perfect example of what was imperfect. Jesus is the perfect example of what was imperfect. And here's what's so great about Jesus. He is not like a God that looks down on us and doesn't understand and is like, dumb little people, pick you up and squish you. No, he is a man. And not like, he's just a man. But he's a man. And because Jesus is a man, because he is God in the flesh, it means that he is one of us. He understands he sympathizes. He feels the same hurts we do. We have passages where Jesus weeps. He understands the same cr struggles. He gets you to the core. Better than anyone ever has or ever will, he gets you. And when we put our faith in him, we are forgiven and invited into his presence. And what we see at the end of that passage is this, man, grace bigger than forgiveness. Check this out. Here's, here's how it describes the access that we have. It says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Here's the deal. We always think of grace as forgiveness. We always think of grace. That's almost always how we define grace, but that is not how the writer of Hebrews describes grace. He says, you have approached 
throne room, I'm going to give you mercy, which means I'm going to withhold the wrath that I should have bestowed upon you if you put your faith in Jesus. And then I'm going to give you grace. How does he define grace? It's not going to be up on the slides, but it's this. Grace is bigger than forgiveness because grace is the power from the beginning. Grace is the power to navigate the sin. Grace is the power to beat sin. Many of us wonder why we feel so distant from God. We wonder why we struggle with access. It's because we go to God at the end of the day for forgiveness for everything we did instead of hitting our knees at the beginning of the day asking for help to navigate what's to come, to beat the day. That's grace. Grace is power. And not like, not like power, like, I'm going to take over the school, rule the nations. No, grace is the power to be humble, to be a servant, to be loving. It is the power to navigate sin, to see it, and to go to the throne of God and say, I see it, I don't want it. I've named it, get me out of it. Get me around it, get me through it, God, take me away from it. Two and a half years ago when I got here, I spent seven months. Seven months in the book of James. Chapter one, the very beginning of my time here, talked about trial and temptation and struggle and frustration and sin. And it says, God does not tempt you. Do not be fooled. Your sin and your evil desire tempt you, but God allows you to go through trials so he can bring you to mature faith. Because this hope is that in that, you would ask for grace. To navigate it, to beat it, to win the day. What would your faith look like if instead of getting at the end of every problem and approaching every problem like at the end of this, I'll go for forgiveness, but instead you said, hey, this morning, this is the sin, the temptation, and the trial that I'm going to face. As a teenager in Graham, Texas, I know it. Give me the strength to beat the day. Grace is bigger than we make it to be. Forgiveness serves a higher purpose than just to erase sin. It has to erase sin. There is no place with God without the erasing of sin, but it serves to set the foundation that we might have grace to win the day. So the writer of Hebrews tells us. See, when Jesus dies, rises again, and goes to be with the Father, the disciples are confused because Jesus tells them, it is better for me to leave. They say, how could it be better for my Jesus, friend, to leave? Because Jesus knows that he's going to go. He's going to go into the heavens, as the writer of Hebrews says it. He's going to go and intercede for us at the throne. He's going to be the one in eternity that when God says, why should I let you in, or whatever word he says, and you're going to say you shouldn't, but Jesus says that you will. He says, I'm going to go and do that, and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. The song that we sing about, you are welcome here. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is in you. He resides within you. What is the Holy Spirit? What is another name for him? The helper. If the Holy Spirit would reside in us, make our minds and our hearts more like Jesus, that we would have grace to win the day. Because grace is so much bigger than forgiveness. If you don't know that Jesus, it is true that he has forgiven you. He can forgive anything. He separated as far as the east is from the west. God holds the power to forget your sin. But it is so much more than that. The death and resurrection is not just for the forgiveness of sins, but the grace and the power to win the day, to defeat the sin today. 
here's the deal. Many of you know your sin, your trial, your temptation. You know it. You refuse to call it by name. You know it, and I don't know your specific sin, but I remember high school. I remember junior high. Some of you guys in here struggle with being a man. And not like, oh, I want to lift big things and date pretty girls. You struggle with being a man because you think that a woman is for you. So I talk with students and girls all the time of you men in this room or what you are supposed to be and you are not because you are regularly asking them to send you photos they should not send you, to be in relationships with you that they should not be in, that they are not ready for mentally, physically, emotionally, whatever it is. That is trash. Grow up and be a man. Ladies, I'm going to harp on you. Because you buy into it. Because you have the sin of acceptance by anyone who will hold your hand. And it breaks me inside because I know that they use it and manipulate it for all of my teenage years. And you will do all the things that they want you to do. And you will lie, and you will gossip, and you will trash one another. And guys, you will tear each other down and measure their, man up, their manhood up to however many girls they've been with this week or how many girls they've dated. And you will lie, and you will destroy integrity. You will destroy character. You will leave your own behind. You know your sin. Name it. Don't play in it. Don't wallow in it. Don't go to bed with it. Stop. Don't party with it. Don't smoke with it. Don't drink with it. Stop. You know it. Stop waiting till later on, till the end of the day, because Jesus is going to forgive me. You don't understand grace and forgiveness. It's not what it's for. My good friend, actual theologian, not actual good friend, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, writes a book called The Cost of Discipleship, and what he talks about is simply this. Grace that is just for forgiveness is cheap grace. It is not the grace that comes from Jesus. The grace that comes from Jesus should change your life Get you out of your crap. Not because of your willpower and your strength and how good you are, but because of how weak and dumb you are and how good Jesus is. That's grace to win the day. That's what the writer of Hebrews calls grace in a time of need. Maybe you start going and you start asking for that grace. You become a better friend. Boyfriend, son, daughter, cousin, I don't know. My bet is God is big enough to make that happen. The band's going to come up. Just think about a couple things. What is your temptation? Start asking for help rather than forgiveness. Forgiveness will be there. God is forgiving. He is good to do so, but be diligent and obedient enough to go to the throne of God who is good to answer your desires and ask for help in your time of need. If you don't think you need help, you are what the writer of Proverbs and Psalms and all of the other books of wisdom calls a fool. And you're missing it. You are laying with sin, thinking you have nothing. What is your temptation? Start asking for help rather than forgiveness. Because that's what our access is. Our access is to be able to go for help. Our access is to be able to admit that we're weak and to go for help. And here's what I love about Hebrews. It goes into chapter 5, and it starts to talk about the priest. It starts to talk about the priest, and it describes man. 
and what I've become increasingly more aware with in Graham, Texas, and small towns, and youth ministry, and the view of the church, and the view of pastors, and the view of myself, and I have to want to close with this because of the way that we close some of that truth, and the way that I said, hey, we're going to attack some heavy truths. We're not going to beat around the bush. We're going to get after it for the next few weeks. It's simply this, and I've been reminded by a friend, and also the Lord and the Holy Spirit, I am just a man. And in chapter 5, the writer of Hebrews begins to explain a, a man that would do great things and go on behalf of you, but I cannot go on behalf of you to the throne of God. Only Jesus can. In Graham, Texas, and small towns, and in youth ministry, and in other churches, we think that the pastor is above us, and the writer of Hebrews is very clear, he is not. And so I am not above you. This applies to me too. This is a truth for me too. For every day. And it will never change. My hope for you is that in your time here, your faith has never been a man. It has never been in the Wolfs, the Morrises, or the Forbeses, or Jose, or me, but the reality is for many of it, it was. That you bank on your relationship with me or your involvement in youth ministry to carry your relationship with Jesus and it will not. Because we are not the high priest. Jesus is. We are not the forgivers, forgivers of sin. Jesus is. We cannot give you the power to win the day. We are merely people who love you, who want what's best for you, who want to direct you back to the word as often as we can. And so my prayer and my hope is that you are here for the high priest, that you are here for Jesus, that when you sing, set a fire down in my soul, that you mean what you are saying, and what you are saying is God come in and wreck my life for your kingdom, for your good. If you don't mean it, I encourage you tonight, don't sing it. Don't sing it anytime you come into my building. Don't make requests and demands to God that you do not mean. Instead, pray that your heart will begin to mean them. As we sing songs like, oh, come to the altar, you don't have to come to an altar, but maybe you spend time with the Lord and you start to ask for strength to win the day. That you would reveal sin, that you would know sin, that you would name sin, you would ask for grace to beat it. Not for the forgiveness later, the grace to beat it. What a thing the Lord could do in your life. What a thing he could do. Our band's going to lead us in worship. Love you guys.